This morning, numbers confirming what we see and feel all around us. The American Psychological Association finding nearly 80% of adults say the coronavirus is a significant source of stress in their life. Next tonight, the emotional toll the pandemic is taking on American children. Parents noticing a significant rise in depression and anxiety. We're in the midst of a mental health epidemic right now, and I think it's only going to get worse. You don't think the worst is over? No, not at all. No, I think in a way the worst is yet to come. There is a hidden epidemic stemming directly from the first pandemic, a psychological pandemic. Illness, loss of loved ones, social isolation, economic insecurity, disruption of routine have taken an enormous toll on mental health. Depression, anxiety, suicides, and drug use are all on the rise. All this making mental health services more important than ever. But how do you deliver mental health services during COVID-19? It has led us to revision mental health and substance use treatment. I'm Melissa Bailey, principal at Bowling Business Strategies. I spent the better part of 20 years working for the state of Vermont, primarily in mental health. Mental health is something we all have, just like physical health, and it's on a continuum. I'm Raquel Maison Jeffers, program officer at the Nicholson Foundation and a self-professed advocate. And by that, I mean someone who has worked inside state government, holding a deep commitment to transforming health systems to improve outcomes for more people. Welcome to State of Mind, where two former state leaders explore new ways to a better mental health system. We are ready to stop tinkering at the edges of change. On today's episode of State of Mind, Family Matters, raising small children is hard enough, but the COVID-19 pandemic has compounded the normal physical and emotional intensity of parenting. Families who would otherwise find themselves generally confident and equipped to parent are struggling with the new dimensions of caregiving in the absence of other supports during the pandemic. Parents are dealing with increased financial pressures, increased demands on their time and attention, especially if they're trying to work while there's limited childcare or school. Add dealing with their own anxiety and fear, the stress is enormous. During this critical time in a young child's life, having opportunities to develop strong, healthy attachments is key. One way is by supporting parents' own mental health so they can better support their children. Our guest today on State of Mind is Lynn Dolce, CEO of Edgewood Center for Children and Families in San Francisco. Lynn has more than 25 years experience as a leader in children's mental health and was instrumental in the creation of the trauma-informed system of care curriculum that is now considered a national model for organizational change. Welcome to State of Mind, Lynn. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. It's great to have you here today. Can you tell us what you're seeing during the pandemic that is impacting families most, especially those families with young children? Sure, and before I talk about families, I wanna just make sure we're contextualizing the pandemic in uh, you know, time and place with the racial uprisings, um, the insurgents on the Capitol on January 6th, all of the historical events you know, that have happened during the course of the pandemic. We've seen families lose a lot of stability, jobs, 
their income. There's been multiple deaths in, in families, um, generational loss. Families have been forced together in a really in a way that nobody had anticipated. In small spaces, sometimes uh, living in one rooms in, in flats uh, with five or six families, um, no respite, family conflict, and uh, you know really concerning around the safety and abuse situations that we are um, uh, experiencing. Um, I think the 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 safe adults, the access to safe adults like teachers and social workers and school nurses, all those mandated child abuse reporters, um, those people have not had their eyes on kids in over a year uh, for those kids who have not been in school in person. So the families are, are really struggling and we're worried about safety. Yeah. So, so in that context, which uh, feels pretty fraught, how can we best support caregivers in the child's life so that they can affect parent effectively since uh, a lot of the other normal supports and ancillary um, resources are not available to them? You know, we uh, started giving food to people. Um, we have increased our food pantry services by almost 300% on some weeks at Edgewood in San Francisco. Uh, so uh, we're talking about how do we support people with basic needs, Raquel, you know, food, uh, supplies to clean their homes, transportation needs. Many of the families we serve rely on public transportation, which, you know, was not safe to do during the pandemic. Uh, and yet, those folks needed to be on public transportation to get to their jobs. Um, so when we look at how to support families, we're talking about everything from basic fundamental basic needs uh, to like more social, most, more social structures that um, can increase parent connections, social connections with other parents, right? Um, you know, folks have been pretty isolated this year. And we know that isolation is, is one of those problems that we are always striving to solve. So how do we create, where do we create opportunities for social interaction for parents so that they can be together with other adults, be together with other parents and break that sense of isolation. And structurally, you know, our, our culture isn't really set up that way, is it? We're, we're sort of set up to be individual and family-centered, family-centric. Uh, and so what would it look like if we had forums for parents, uh, meet meetups in parks, you know, that are socially distant with a place to pick up a food box at the same time, you know, one stop shopping, if you will, a place to um, have their kids uh, have an activity while they're hanging out with other parents. Um, that would be really helpful. Yeah, I know that a cafe in my own community in Hopewell has taken on the responsibility of getting food to families that in, in this unprecedented time, it's been a major resource for families. Yeah. So Lynn, can you talk about some other examples of what you've done at Edgewood to um, adjust your approach so that you can still connect with families or connect them with others? Um, you know, when, when schools first shut down during the initial shelter in place, Melissa, we got really concerned because a lot of the kids we serve in our community school were coming to Edgewood. We were picking them up in the morning. They were coming. They were having breakfast, lunch, snacks, you know, almost three meals a day at Edgewood. Well, when the closures happened, uh, we got worried about um, 
staying connected with those kids who weren't going to be coming in person to school. So we were delivering those meals plus their homework and their packets. Um, so that's, you know, one thing we did was we, we used our transportation team to bring food and academic support. Um, when kids started to disappear from their screens during school time, we um, sent our therapists out to connect with them in, in their local parks so that we could just lay eyes on them and get a sense of how they were doing. They weren't engaging in school on their screens. Um, I, I think um, we've seen what we're calling, uh, you know, mirror anxiety in our Zoom rooms with kids where um, there's just been a lot of stress for kids uh, being seen and having to look at themselves, you know, a few hours a day on screen. You may have experienced it yourselves. Um, uh, so as a result, you know, they're, they're, they're not participating. So we're, we're going to them to find how they're doing and see how they're doing. Um, other things that we've done uh, differently is, um, you know, we're, we're way, we, it was, people were scared to be in the community-based services. You know, uh, we, we serve a lot of elderly people in our kinship services. And those um, older adults have their own health problems and were not going to their doctors, not checking in with their nurse practitioners, not getting their prescriptions filled. So we actually just started doing that for them. So again, these are all things that our systems of care don't really pay for. These are services that are um, really needed and necessary, but not billable, if you will. You know, you've both been in the field. You know what I'm talking about. We right. You pay for that kind of personal touch service that really families have needed throughout the year. Right, right. You know, uh, Lynn, it's interesting. Um, before the pandemic, uh, the work of the Nicholson Foundation began to become very focused on adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. We actually took a lot of inspiration from California. And I'm just wondering, uh, in this context of the pandemic, um, how we're thinking about uh, early childhood trauma and COVID-19 and what other protective factors or uh, innovations in how we are working with children uh, can we think about or put into practice to prevent uh, or detect early uh, adverse childhood experiences? Oh, it's such a good question. I'm so glad you're asking it because that's really, uh, that's our future, right? However, we are able to take care of really young children and their families right now will really be predictive of the next 10 to 20 years. I think, and I think, you know, our little kids are out of social practice. You know, they, they, I've talked to parents where they're saying, um, gosh, my child, it has never been to kindergarten. They've missed an entire year of school. I've been opening their bag of chips for a year. Are they going to be able to do that on their own when they get to school in the fall? So everything from fine motor to gross motor skills, you know, we've got to really pay attention to how little kids have been um, taken care of this year. And so um, we're talking to parents about, you know, has your child ever had a lunchbox? Do they know how to undo the zipper? Let's do some practicing before we get your child into the preschool setting next year or into the kindergarten setting next year. Um, let's practice putting on your shoes because actually you haven't had to put on your shoes every day. 
One of the things we're worried about here is that um, the schedule for little kids has been really off, right? And, and um, part of that is parents' schedules have been off, but, but more than that is they haven't had to get up and go somewhere every day and, and get regulated to, this is snack time, oh, this is sharing time, this is circle time, this, you know, those sorts of things for little kids are super important in terms of their brain development. I think, you know, as when we look back on, on this year and year and a half, as the case will be, um, yeah, I think we're going to see this as, as one of those aces that we can count for some kids and families, not all. So we talk about aces for uh, kids and families, and, and you're talking about how kids are going to have to you know, reestablish skills or um, increase their skills as it relates to the social emotional. And we know that that's also true for adults who are parenting these children. Um, so what are some ideas or ways that we could help parents, adults, um, gain the skills or reestablish ways to deal with stress so that they can then be available for their kids? Any ideas about what we should be focusing in on? You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of meditation, I have to say. Um, 10 minutes of meditation a day has helped me through the pandemic. I'm also a parent of a couple kids. And I think that um, if we can pull back the lens on what we think of as wellness and how to get to wellness and, and sort of see everybody right now in, as in a state of reaction to a really unnerving situation and, and, and provide folks with um, not just talk therapy, that's really important, a place to go, a space to be, but what, what can you do in nature? What can you do in the privacy of your own home? What can we give parents um, as a little marker of this is for you? Because if you don't put your own oxygen mask on and take care of yourself first, like we tell each other when we get on the plane, then we can't help our children because we understand that the stress our children uh, are experiencing is somehow directly correlated with ours, especially since we've been sort of thrown together in this one space for a year and a half with not a lot of other social uh, connection. So I, I think giving parents um, hope that, we, that they have gotten through this, um, not necessarily unscathed, but that's life, right? We, we will be wounded as we go through and walk this path of life, however we walk it. Um, but, but we did it. We're doing it. So um, hope that we're doing it. Hope that we've got the skills and, um, and some, some what we would call non-traditional ways of providing wellness, um, like meditation, like, um, uh, uh, you know, embracing what is uh, any spiritual practice that you might have that has gotten you through this. I think we don't talk enough about that in the mental health and behavioral health world. We, we leave that to others. But how do we incorporate that for people? How do we stop bifurcating um, what is mental health, what is behavioral health, what is physical health? Let's, let's start talking about it as health and well-being as a whole, in a holistic way. Um, yeah. It's so important as we all try to kind of re-regulate our own stress response systems. We have to 
uh, go to some different uh, stores in ourselves to really um, find that. I'm wondering, kind of moving from the individual level to more of a societal level, are there uh, policy changes in uh, at the federal and state government level that you think could help address the mental health needs of families in the midst of the pandemic and post pandemic? Absolutely. You know, one one of the things I really am an advocate for is is getting rid of, rid of um, categorical funding. So in our world, in mental health, behavioral health, in order to get services, you have to meet a threshold of problem. You have to have a severity of problem in order to get help. And then you have to have a diagnosis. So for a little kid, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, who we can see is suffering, um, those, those categories don't work, do they? They don't. We know that. So um, let's get rid of categorical funding. Let's look at all of the resources we have, because I'm pretty sure we have plenty to go around and start looking at pots of funding for holistic care. And let's let providers do their job without narrowing their job uh, and, and, and scripting our jobs to um, one way that's quote unquote evidence-based because evidence-based does not fit all. We have a lot to learn from indigenous populations and communities about how to help. And I think it's time we start drawing on that and we start figuring out how to fund that at a systems, you know, big level. Thank you, Lynn, for joining us today and sharing your insights on what will be helpful for children and families today and going forward. That does it for this episode. Please join us for the next episode of State of Mind. Thanks for listening.